Welcome to In That Case. My name's Joel Townsend and this is my podcast about important pieces of public interest litigation which have shaped Australian life. You can find previous episodes of the podcast on the website at www.inthatcasepodcast.com. You can also find them on Stitcher and on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. You can find me at uh, at Townsend Joel C and really happy to hear any feedback you have, any comments, questions, ideas for future episodes. In the uh, early to mid-1990s, there were a number of decisions of the High Court of Australia which established a principle that there was an implied freedom of political communication, which was a necessary part of the Australian Constitution. The Constitution doesn't contain a Bill of Rights, it contains no protection for free speech, but it contains a number of provisions in relation to the election of the members who sit in and the senators who sit in the Commonwealth Parliament. And so from those provisions, the High Court implied that there must be a protection inherent in our constitutional schema for some political communication, which was a necessary precondition to the exercise of that franchise, of that right to vote. From the mid-1980s, there was a concerted campaign against duck shooting in Victoria run by Laurie Levy. And in 1996 and 1997, uh, that campaign intersected with the question of the implied freedom of political communication. In Victoria, there were regulations which banned entry into duck shooting areas during duck shooting season. Laurie Levy and his fellow campaigners breached those regulations by going into duck shooting areas. And in 1994, Laurie Levy was charged with an offence under those regulations. He contested that charge uh, and failed to successfully defend it in the Magistrates' Court and the County Court of Victoria and ultimately took it to the High Court. And at the High Court level, it became a significant free speech case. Laurie Levy argued that the provisions which restricted him from entering duck shooting areas restricted his freedom of political communication and that they therefore were not valid and he could not be prosecuted under them. I began discussing with Laurie Levy how his campaigning on duck shooting started and how this led to the case before the High Court. The the, the reason I started the campaign was mainly because uh, it's fairly complicated, but Basically, we started in 1985 when we first went down to the wetlands to have a look at what was happening down in Geelong, and uh, I was sort of astounded at the uh, the violence and the cruelty that was being inflicted on native water birds, and and basically we put a, a team together in 1986 with 15 rescuers to go out 
again to the Geelong wetlands to challenge basically 100,000 duck shooters who were in Victoria at the time. Um, and what we did, the, I mean, duck shooting had always been about killing and wounding uh, native water birds. And what we did, we did the opposite. We, we took out a mobile veterinary clinic to treat wounded birds. And of course, we had a small team of rescuers. And we, we saw our role as being similar to the Red Cross going into a war zone to help the innocent victims. And, of course, all the media came out with us, Joel, and, uh, um, and because of that, the campaign uh, took off straight away and a lot of the media coverage not only went right throughout Victoria, but it was all national. So people in other states wanted to get involved in the campaign in their states, and that's basically how it began. Well, well, well basically, I'd seen probably for about eight or so years beforehand, uh, uh, I've been watching news stories that were coming out uh, every time the opening of the duck shooting season went ahead. And I, I thought, well, I wonder who's out there helping birds or policing it. And, and in the early days, of course, even the wildlife officers were out on the wetlands shooting birds legally. And, uh, and when I first went down to Geelong in 1985, just to have a look, I spoke to one of the wildlife officers uh, and, and he told me that he was out shooting birds that morning and that he shot eight birds and four got away wounded. And I thought, well, if a wildlife officer can't do better than a 50% cripple loss, then what are the other shooters doing? And, and basically that was how it started. Joan Kerner was the Minister for Conservation for Labor in the 1980s in Victoria. And Joan Kerner would have banned duck shooting in 1988 if the New South Wales government uh, had a banned duck shooting at the same time. And Barry Unsworth was the uh, premier in New South Wales and he was facing an election and uh, uh, after about two months of negotiations uh, Barry Unsworth decided to pull out and, and not ban duck shooting and of course the Victorian government didn't go ahead either but then in 1990 um, I was asked to go across to Western Australia to help them fight their first uh, duck opening and uh, uh, it was being run by the West Australian Conservation Council and uh, so we helped them and uh, uh, that was in March of, of uh, 1990 and, and in September on September the 3rd the West Australian Premier uh, put out a media release it was Carmen Lawrence saying that uh, duck shooting was going to be banned, mainly because of the cruelty, protected species that were being illegally shot, and that was it. Um, but when, in Victoria, when Kennett got into office in October 1992, the shooters had been lobbying for a long time 
to bring in, well, uh, hunter protection regulations or they were really called human safety regulations. And the Labor Party before that wouldn't bring them in. Um, but the Kennett government did. And we, we didn't get any fines in 1993, but we did in 1994. We copped about $20,000 in fines and we fought it through the courts and we lost. And by 1996, we owed about uh, $80,000 uh, to the courts. So we decided to go to the High Court. We had appealed to the County Court and uh, we lost there in the Supreme Court and then we went on to the High Court. And uh, um, what was only going to be probably half a day in the High Court turned into a week um, and it turned into a major free speech case. And, and of course, uh, it was a nightmare. The proceedings before the High Court became very complicated. Along with another case, the case of Longy, Laurie Levy's case became a vehicle for the reconsideration of the implied freedom of political communication. And so his case became one which involved the intervention of states and territories across Australia and also the involvement of media organisations who wanted to argue for an expansive reading of the implied freedom of political communication. Well, well our case was, as I said, a fairly small one. We went to the High Court and uh, Sir, um, Justice uh, Sir Darrell Dawson uh, suggested to the Victorian Solicitor General, uh, who was Douglas Graham, that in order to beat us, they needed to overturn the Theophanus case because we we had gone to the High Court using the Theophanus defence. And, and, of course, that was one of the cases uh, that was won by the media. And it was really only... Uh, the the implied right to freedoms of speech only started in 1992 and continued on in 1994. So Daryl Dawson had opposed implied rights to freedom of speech being somewhere in the Constitution, even though it hadn't been written. It, it was really um, uh, Sir Anthony Mason and... Uh, uh, Sir William Dean, the two radical judges in the High Court who found uh, that implied rights to freedom uh, of speech would have existed in the Constitution. And Sir Darrell Dawson was trying to overturn that and he was using our case to do it. So the Victorian Solicitor General had to then um, re-examine and and retry the Theophanus case using us. <laughs> the other thing that made it difficult was we really didn't have any money when, and we had a, a fantastic legal team um, who had won the Marbo case 
and uh, but we didn't have any money. So this turned into a, a, an enormous case. Uh, the, the other thing, of course, a lot of the media joined in. Uh, also, uh, David Longy was in was in the federal court at the time suing the ABC over a Four Corners program and it was in his interest to overturn the Theophanes case. So he joined in our case. And, of course, David Longy was on the side of the Victorian Solicitor General and that we were on the side of the ABC. But the other quirky thing is we were still going to fight our case and the media would have been fighting, obviously, to to ensure that the uh, the Theophanes case wasn't overturned. But the High Court then told the media that they could argue the case in court, but that a decision wouldn't be given until after the court case. Uh, a decision wouldn't be made to give them leave until after that the case was over, which was pretty crazy because um, we then had to argue the media's case as well as our own case because we didn't want to lose it for the media. Um, so we were, we were granted $100,000 in legal aid, not for the duck part of the case, but for the free speech case. But it put a lot of responsibility on us because um, if, if the media weren't given leave to to argue their case, even though they were in court arguing their case, um, it, it was up to us to fight it for them, which, which put a lot of pressure on us. So it was a, a pretty tough case all up, Joel. As you might imagine, the jurisprudence about the implied freedom of political communication in Australian law is very complex. But there are two basic questions which run through the case law. The first question is, does this law actually burden political communication? Does it in some way retard or affect the capacity of a person to engage in political communication? And two, is that a permissible burden? Is that one that we can live with? Understanding that the implied freedom of political communication in Australian constitutional law is not absolute. There is not absolute protection of freedom of speech. In Laurie Levy's case, all of the judges ended up accepting that the safety rationale which the government offered for the regulation preventing duck shooting protesters going into duck shooting zones was one which could sustain the law. That, it, that is, it pursued a legitimate purpose, the purpose of maintaining safety, and it was a law which was appropriate and adapted to that end. It was not unduly broad and didn't go further than it needed to in order to uh, ensure the safety without unfairly and impermissibly burdening freedom of speech. Well, yes, you see, 
the well, the the, the reason, the main reason that the new laws came in, they were really political laws designed to give shooters free three hours of free shooting time before rescuers could go into the water. And, of course, there were a lot of birds that were being wounded during that period of time. In our case, we lost 7-0 uh, because uh, the seven High Court judges found that uh, free speech, even though we, we argued on the using the theophanous defence, the High Court found that uh, free free speech um, uh, didn't apply in the case of personal safety, and if basically if people were uh, it wasn't absolute, and that if people were silly enough to go into the wetlands, when you've got guys with guns out there, the state government had a right to protect them. But I take it that you you would say um, that the way in which you conducted the operation was sufficiently protective of um, of um, the safety of all concerned uh, that the, the regulation wasn't necessary for that purpose. Uh, correct. And, and um, I mean, we, we, we've been pretty good on safety over the years. We've been out there for 30, 33 years now. And, and uh, I think our safety record is excellent. Uh, except for one incident in 2011 when a female rescuer was shot in the face at the opening of the 2011 duck shooting season at Lake Bullake. Um, but, but, of course, w- when we go to court, um, we we always try to get, obviously, as much media coverage as possible so that if we lose the legal case we usually win the public relations case. And that's what we did with the High Court. Even though we lost the legal case, we, we still won the, the, a, a lot of... Uh, the, we won the public relations case by doing it. Some years on from the case, Laurie Levy feels no less now than he did then that while they lost the High Court battle, they are winning the war against duck shooting in Victoria. And he talked to me about the decline of interest in duck shooting and the prospect that it might ultimately be banned. Is duck shooting, it seems less prominent now. Is it? Is it less popular? Is it becoming less of... Um, a, a Victorian pastime? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, well, well, along the way, um, uh, as I said, Western Australia banned uh, recreational duck shooting in 1990, and that was when Carmen Lawrence was Premier. Then in 1995, uh, Premier Bob Carr uh, uh, banned duck shooting uh, in the first year that he was in office. And then Peter Beatty in Queensland banned duck shooting in 2005. And, and basically it was on the grounds mainly of cruelty and, and that's why they banned it. Uh, in in uh, March 2000, uh, sorry, in March 1993, we had our first editorial in the Age newspaper um, that uh, uh, call for a, a ban on duck shooting, 
and uh, uh, the 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 editorial said duck shooting should be outlawed, and the first line was uh, duck shooting is not a sport; it's an obscenity, and that was a pretty powerful editorial. Mm. So, what's happened over the years? To cut a long story short, is that uh, with all the media coverage, public opinion changed pretty quickly, Joel. And these days, instead of having a hundred thousand duck shooters out there, uh, there are only twenty-five thousand who who are licensed. Uh, but this year, uh, there were no more than eleven thousand duck shooters out on Victoria's wetlands. Uh, and that's due to public opinion. And do you uh, are you hopeful of a, a a ban on duck shooting in Victoria in the foreseeable future? Yeah. Um, what happened at the last election in Victoria in November two thousand and eighteen? The Andrews Labor government won one office again with a huge swing in the lower house. Uh, and also in the upper house, uh, Andy Medic from the Animal Justice Party uh, got into uh, Parliament for the first time. And uh, and we're pinning our hopes on Andy uh, swinging the Labor Party around. The other thing is duck shooters only make up, even if you look at 25,000 who have got licences, um, most of them don't suit these days, and the Game Management Authority puts the figure down to 13,000. Now, duck shooters only make up 0.2% of Victoria's population. They don't bring money into country towns. It's impossible because there aren't enough of them out there. Now, it's this, in, in 2015, Joel, the... Auditor General's report said that small regional towns in Victoria were dying. And SGS Economics and Planning, who I'd never heard of at the time, came out the following year and said the same thing. Only they went further and said small Victorian towns were doing worse uh, than, than country towns in other states. Now, what I found out later was SGS economics actually works for the Andrews government. So small towns were dying and of course the only thing the only industry they can have these days is nature based tourism and Daniel Andrews uh, as soon as he got into office in 2014 started going to China to encourage Chinese tourists to, to, to visit regional Victoria and it's been a huge success. And duck shooting will be replaced by nature-based tourism. All of this makes Laurie Levy somewhat philosophical about his experience in the High Court, notwithstanding having lost the litigation. He talked to me about how he sees that case on reflection and also a little about how his work fits in with the wider rise of animal law, of advocacy for animals through legal processes.
I, I can understand in one way the High Court judges uh, being concerned about human safety um, by, by saying that freedom of speech is an absolute. And, and of course, when we went to the High Court, um, Sir Anthony Mason and Sir, Sir William Dean had resigned before that. And in, all, in, in the early 1992 and 94 free speech cases, they were only one, four to three. And we knew we probably couldn't win because of the fact that it was a more conservative high court bench. We, we have a, a strong connection to Voiceless up in New South Wales, and, of course, they're doing a lot of work in animal law. Um, and, and really, animal law is moving ahead uh, pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, up until, well, even when we had our case, really animals didn't have any, any say or any right. Uh, at all to being caught over. Um, the only reason we got to the High Court was because I'd been charged with being in the water before 10 o'clock uh, by the police, and that's that's the only way we could could get to the High Court. We we would we wouldn't have got leave to 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 uh, to run our cases through the courts other than that. Thanks to Laurie Levy and thanks to you for joining me for this episode of In That Case, the question of Australia's implied freedom of political communication and its scope continues to be very much a current issue and I hope to bring you more episodes about some of the other interesting cases about the implied freedom in future. If you have any questions about the episode or ideas for future episodes, any comments that you might want to make, once again, I'm on Twitter at, at Townsend Joel C. Uh, you can find the past episodes of the podcast on the website and on a range of podcast platforms. Please have a listen. Thanks for joining me, and I'll look forward to joining you for the next episode of In That Case. Mm-hmm.